All right, how you doing? Good? Hey, if you haven't had a chance, love to have you back at 1 p.m. for a free lunch as we talk about what this church is all about. Stephanie and I would love to meet you, and it is going to be awesome. One o'clock, even if you haven't signed up, you can come back to our welcome lunch, and let's begin with a joke. An old preacher was dying. He sent a message for his banker and his lawyer, both church members, to come to his home. When they arrived, they were ushered up to his bedroom, and as they entered the room, the preacher held out his hands and motioned them to sit at his right and his left. The preacher grasped their hands, sighed contentedly, smiled, and looked up to heaven. For a time, no one said anything, but the banker and lawyer were touched and flattered that the preacher would ask them to be with him during his final moments. But they were also puzzled because the preacher had never given them any indication that he particularly liked either of them. But they both remembered his many long, uncomfortable sermons about greed and covetous behavior that made them squirm in their seats. So finally, the, pre- the banker says, Preacher, why'd you ask us to come and be with you as you pass from this life? The old preacher mustered his last strength and weakly said, In this life, I tried to live like Jesus, and now I want to die like him between two thieves. <laughs> If you're a banker or a uh, lawyer, we welcome you to church today, and, and we actually desperately need you as we're about to build a building. Uh, so, Isaiah 43. If you turn, if you turn there with me, Isaiah chapter 43. I had a God moment this week, and I intended on concluding our series on unlikely in a in a completely different way, doing a character study. But I was going through my, my daily Bible reading, and, and what I want to encourage you to do is, if you don't have something, you're already studying the Bible, uh, do the Bible in a year plan. It's a wonderful app, and we want to be a people who are anchored and rooted in the Word of God. And so that's why I will preach on numerous, numerous scriptures and read through almost whole chapters is because we don't want to just be a one-verse devotional type people. We want to be saturated and washed by the Word of God. Amen? This week was a little different for me, though, because as I opened it, I couldn't get past the first seven verses because I was having what I'd call one of those weeks, right? One of those weeks where everything was going wrong, fiery ordeals, challenges, discouragement. And as I read the first seven verses of Isaiah 43, I thought, this is a word for me. Let me read it over you today, especially for those of you that have been having one of those weeks Listen to this. It says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Saba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid. 
for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south. Do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who's called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made. Now, after I finished my Bible time, I always go for a walk to pray, and I put my earbuds in, and I, I crank up my Spotify, and, and I'm, I'm walking, and I'm worshiping, and I'm just brought back to these scriptures. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Do not be afraid. And I start praying out the Word of God. Don't just read the Bible, but pray out the Bible. Pray back the Bible. Speak it out loud. Faith comes from hearing the Word of God. So I'm saying that, and then I start saying, when you walk through the fires, you will not be burned. When you pass through the rivers, they will not overtake you. And at that exact moment, my Spotify had moved from the songs that I had marked down to where it just kind of went into free play. And it's a song I've never heard. And as I'm saying, as you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. As I'm saying that from my mouth, the song goes, as you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Like the exact moment that I'm speaking it, it's coming into my ears. And I just got teary-eyed because I'm saying, God, you are speaking to me. And as I said that, I felt like God said, I'm not just speaking to you, I'm speaking to your church. Can I just tell you, receive this as a word today that whatever you're going through, do not be afraid. He says, I am with you. And as you walk through the fires, you will not be burned. Now, what you've got to know is the children of Israel were in a fiery ordeal. The thing about Isaiah 43 is it's right after Isaiah 42. And here's what Isaiah 42 says, because you see the, the, the people of God are in a heap of a mess and they are messed up. And so God speaks to him in Isaiah 42, a rebuke. He says this, Hear, you deaf, look, you blind, and see. Who is blind but my servant, and deaf like the messenger I send? Who's blind like the one in covenant with me? Blind like the servant of the Lord. You've seen many things, but you pay no attention. Your ears are open, but you don't listen. It pleased the Lord for the sake of his righteousness to make his law great and glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted, all of them trapped in pits or hidden away in prisons. They've become plunder with no one to rescue them. They've been made loot with no one to say send them. Here's the deal. So often we think that these scriptures, do not be afraid, I'm with you. You're chosen, you're precious. That's for someone else. That's for someone that's pleasing to the Lord. And can I just tell you that God was speaking to people that were messed up. God was speaking to people who he said, you're actually deaf. You're not listening to me. But still, I'm telling you this promise that you're going to pass through these fires and not be burned. Why? I want you to make note of this very important text in 19, in verse 19. I would call it 19b. It says, the one in covenant with me. The one in covenant with me. You know what a covenant is? It's a promise. And God's saying, you know the reason I'm giving you these great promises about the future? It's not because of how good you are. It's because of my promise to you. You might be wandering. You might be messed up. But I've got a covenant with you. And therefore, I will bring it about. You've got to understand that the situation that the Israelites were in in the moment. We're, we're very familiar with the captivity 
that the Egyptians had put upon Israel, right? Back in Exodus, Pharaoh was oppressing them and Moses arises and says, let my people go and they march through the Red Sea. But what we're not as familiar with is in the book of Isaiah, the people of Israel are in captivity again. It's called the Babylonian captivity. And why did this happen? It happened because the people of Israel had been all blessed, but they stopped looking to God and they started getting a little prideful about how blessed they were. Have you ever started getting blessed and then you get prideful? You start taking credit for it? I, I can do that. I, I, I don't like that, but I do. And so here's the situation. Uh, Isaiah 36 to 38 takes a break from the, the, the prose and the prophecy of Isaiah, and it's a historical section that talks about King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king in Israel, and he was in a blessed time, and so he had amassed this big treasury in his palace, and, and, and it wasn't enough to just be thankful for what he had. He wanted to show it off. You ever wanted to show off your blessings, right? I, uh, I had one of these things happen to me this past week. I'm, I'm at a, uh, uh, an elementary school dinner or an elementary school like gathering, and all these dads are gathered around, and I started talking about fishing, and I was like, oh, yeah, I was out fishing, you know, in the ocean, and we just filled the boat with yellowtail. You know, I could see all the guys going, wow. And, and I walk off, and I'm like, um, we caught eight yellowtail. <laughs> but why did I have to say, like, we filled the boat? You know, have you ever done that? Like, why do we have to, like, tell people and impress people? And so that's what Hezekiah was doing. Uh, a king, the king of Babylon at the time, uh, was named Merodic Baladin. Merodic Baladin. You hipsters that are looking for a new name to name your kid that no one else has, there it is. Hey, this is Merodic Baladin. And Merodic Baladin at the time, Babylon wasn't quite as powerful. And he comes in and visits Israel. And Hezekiah is like, ooh, I can impress another king. So he takes Merodic Baladin and shows him all his treasury, all his weapons. And then the prophet shows up, Isaiah, who wrote this book. And Isaiah comes up to Hezekiah. And in his wonderful biblical language says, Isaiah, you know, I mean, says Hezekiah, what the heck are you doing? Uh, uh, did you, what did you show him? He goes, oh, I showed him everything. He goes, then you're going to lose everything. Merodic Baladin goes back and writes in his little king file, hey, there's a lot of treasure in Israel. And so a couple kings later, Nebuchadnezzar comes into power. Yeah, I heard y'all like, ooh, Uncle Nez, right? And, he, and Nebuchadnezzar sees in the file, oh, Israel has a lot of treasure. He comes in and attacks them not once, not twice, but three times. Destroys Israel and takes them into captivity in Babylon. So when we read Isaiah 43, do not be afraid. I am with you. You're going to go through the waters, but they're not going to overtake you. You're going to pass through rivers, but they won't drown you. You're going to go through fire, but you won't be burned. It's talking to a people who've actually been captured and are in oppressive slavery. This is bad. But this is God's word to them, and it's God's word to us today. Now, here's, here's what we need to know. Um, sometimes in our pride, God lets situations bring discipline into our life. Sometimes our, our fiery ordeals are actually allowed by God to purify us. 
and to change us. Uh, it, this is what it says in Hebrews 12. And, and the reason I actually have to say that is because it, I'm afraid that, that there's parts of the body of Christ that are saying, hey, you'll never have a trial if you're just walking with God. Right? He'd never let something like this happen to you. And I'm not saying that every bad thing that happens to you is from God. Of course I'm not saying that. Innocent people get robbed, right? Bad, bad things happen to good people, and it's from the enemy. But I love what John Piper, some of you guys have read some of, some of John Piper's work. I love what he says. He says, don't waste your cancer. And what he means is this, don't go through a fiery ordeal and not let it drive you into the presence of God. Don't go through a challenging circumstance and not let it reprioritize you for what actually matters in life. I don't believe that cancer is from God, but I do believe that we can meet with God in our hardest situations and be transformed to be people of faith and power. Hebrews 12, 7 through 11 says this, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. If you're taking notes, write down for our good, for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. So I had this situation this, this week with one of my children, and I have four children, so you'll never know which one it is. <clears throat> but one of my children came home with some, some really bad grades in one of their subjects. And I'm not the kind of dad that says you have to get straight A's. I, I realize that's not for every kid, right? I mean, the, different kids have different aptitudes. So it's not the grade that I care about. It's, I care about, are they trying? But this child was not trying because they were kind of obsessed with their phone. So what did I do as a loving father? I took the phone away. All right. You, you guys are liking that. You're all like, yeah, what if I took your phone away? <laughs> yeah, it's like taking an oxygen tank away, <laughs> right? But you know what happened? I saw that child start studying for hours at night. That child came back to me and said, I went into my teacher, dad, and they helped me and they were so encouraged. Say, La, think about that. Sometimes God takes things away for your good. Sometimes these disciplines, these trials are actually to make you into the person that you're called to be. And we think, God, why are you being so mean? Why am I being, having these things taken away and stripped? And God's saying, because I'm making you into the person I've called you to be. He disciplines you for your good. And what I saw is this child start becoming an overcomer this week. And they actually got really encouraged because they started getting it. But they had to have that distraction taken away from them. Now let's keep going. It says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you. He who created you. I think one of the things that we do to mess up our children is we say, little Johnny, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? That's not the question to ask. The question is, what does God want you to be when you grow up? Because can I just tell you that, that our hearts can run after all kinds of things that aren't best for us. 
Some of you, some of you, you're not believing me. You're like, oh, no, no, let little Johnny believe he can be, he can believe, be anything he wants, right? No, little Johnny is four foot seven as a 19 year old and wants to be an NBA player, right? And he can't shoot a basketball, right? But we're, but little Johnny, what do you want to be? Well, I want to be an NBA player. You know what? He's going to be frustrated and disappointed his whole life because that's not what God created him to be. The question is, what did God create you to be? One of the biggest challenges of my life, I wanted to be, with all my heart, a D1 football player, go be a professional quarterback. That's what I wanted to be. And all of a sudden, this heart condition comes into my life. And it strips that away. And I couldn't play football anymore. And I was devastated. Right? You know, the other thing I wanted to be, I wanted to be the president of the United States. So why are you laughing? But you know what I realized? Being a professional football player or being a president of the United States, I would have destroyed my life and destroyed a lot of other people. And hear me, I'm not saying that those aren't good professions to be. I want godly people to be our next presidents. Amen? And I want godly people to be role models as professional athletes. And I've known some really godly ones, but that would not have been my lot because it was all about me for my own glory. So I am so thankful God stripped that away so I could do what I'm doing now. Because it doesn't matter what I want to be, it matters what he wants me to be. And if we get along with that, see, he says, he who created you, Jacob, the funny thing about Jacob is Jacob was a deceiver who wanted to do what he wanted to do. He was actually running from God. And then watch what it says next. It says, he who formed you, Israel. He who formed you, uh, let's put this slide up. The, the Hebrew word for form is yasser, indicating painstaking care, whereby every circumstance of life is weighed and measured to give exactly the right pressure of the potter's hand so that the finished vessel will match its specifications. We get transformed into who we're called to be by pressure. Right? Come on. Right? It's that's what God's doing. He, he applies, he allows pressure. We're like, I don't like this pressure. I feel squeezed. God's saying, no, I'm making you who, who I've called you to be. So look at that. Um, Jacob means deceiver. But Israel, he forms you into Israel, which means he rules like God or God prevails. Uh, think about it this way. Jacob was a runner. And so Jacob, the runner, is changed into Israel, the ruler. But it only comes through pressure. You know, I'm talking, today's message is called an unlikely people. And do you know that God uses unlikely circumstances to transform unlikely people into his chosen vessels? So you're looking at your life today saying, God, I don't see a way out. I don't see how this can be for my good. And God says, I've always used unlikely circumstances to transform unlikely people into my chosen vessels. That is the way that God works. He says, do not fear. Do not fear. I, I, I was out walking around and I'm, I'm just hearing this. Do not fear. Do not fear. And so often the reason we fear is because we're looking at circumstances. But God says this, do not fear. I've redeemed you. Do not fear. I've summoned you by name. Do not fear because you are mine. 
That was the amazing thing about growing up with my, my dad. He was this very big and strong man. And so we could go into very scary environments, and I was never afraid. And it was because Bob Herder was standing behind me. You don't lose fear in your life by omitting every scary circumstance. The way that we don't fear is when we know I'm his. He's with me. Are you following me? Like you will go through scary circumstances. And we're always saying, I wish this scary circumstance would go away. I wish I didn't have to go through this. And God's saying, no, just look to me. I've redeemed you. I've summoned you my name. You are mine. That is the key. Look at this. The, um, I think the story of this church is a great testimony of God using unlikely circumstances and unlikely people. How do you build a church to impact a city? Like God has said, you will see a great revival in this city. How do you transform a city? Conventional wisdom says you go to the top. Go to the, the leaders of society. Conventional wisdom. Conven when you study church planning, it says go to a fast-growing area, a suburb, and find those leaders and start that way. And God spoke to us and said go into the heart of the city and actually go next to a bunch of, of college students. Go next to San Diego State campus, right? I always wanted to, 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 to go next to the, the top and it was amazing when we got called to San Diego State. It isn't in the top. It's the top three parting schools in the nation. That's awesome. Because God's a parting God. And God loves to transform lives. And so we're, we're there. And I remember the first couple months I'm there, the, the, the helicopters are circling my house. Seven different helicopters are circling my house. And I wonder what's going on. And we find out that in one drug bust on campus, 90 students were arrested. You know what the amazing thing is? Throughout the next years, I met students in our church that had been involved in that, and they'd been transformed. God's ways are not our ways. Right? And then, and then we moved from those students, and then we felt led to go into City Heights, into Rosa Parks, and start talking to gangsters and street kids and homeless. Right? That... that that is not what conventional wisdom would say to go and build a, a, a city-shaking church. But God uses the weak things. God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. And God started growing the church. And people had told us San Diego is a hard place to plant a church. And we just found it up to be a ripe harvest field. Why? Because we went to people who knew their need for God. And he started building. And then you think, okay, well, where, where, what do you do to, 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 to start a church to reach influence? Well, you have the coolest environment, you know? Get the most corrugated metal and wooden stuff and hanging lights and, and just make it in laser lights. And, 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 and so that's why we went to Horace Mann Middle School that hadn't been updated in 80 years. And we tried to sit down in their small auditorium, but the seats were only two-thirds the size seat of a human rear. And so we were like trying to, you know, put our bottoms down in these seats and it's hot and there's no air conditioning. I think they actually pumped heat in the room for us in an 80-seat auditorium. And that's what God says because God says, I choose the foolish things 
to shame the wise. And I choose the weak things to confound, to confound the strong. And you know what I've realized? I would rather be in a cardboard box with the presence and power of Jesus than the most opulent mansions on earth. And I'm not against opulent mansions as long as you put Jesus first and let his presence fill that place. And so that's how God started this. And then, and then we move back to, to this place and this little place in University Avenue next to a liquor store and all these, this, this, all, this sea of homelessness. And, and, and you know what? God has just drawn young families like, we're, we're bursting in the seams. We just had to add a fourth service. Why? Because God didn't play by the rules of the world. Right? And now, by God's grace, through some crazy miracles, he's given us land to build our own beautiful facility. And there was a time when the wandering children of Israel had the opportunity to build a beautiful temple for the Lord. But by then, they realized it's not about the beauty of a temple. It's about being with God. And so now we get to do something to honor God. Can I just tell you, we're going to cross over, but we're still going to be the same people. We're going to still be a people that are desperately dependent on God, and we just want to do the next thing he says. That's the journey of the people of God. And look at this. He says, when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Um. Look at this. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. It, it, it doesn't say you might go through some waters. It doesn't say there's a possibility that you're going to have to cross a river. It doesn't say, hey, there's chances are you, you, you might go through the fire. No, it says when. When you go through the waters. When you go through the rivers. When you go through the fire. It's not going to set you ablaze. Um, do you know that the people of Israel, to get to the promised land, they had to go through a river? Think about this. The only way you're going to get to your promised land is going through a rushing river. I don't, I don't know that you got me there. Um, you can't get to your promised land without going through a river that looks like it's going to destroy you. Why? Because when you go through a river and you don't get destroyed, then God gets all the glory. And the people around you look and go, someone must be with you because there's no way you could have pulled that off in your own strength. Um, when you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. Okay, you're looking around and going, hey, why are my friends, they get to do this, they, they can spend their money on whatever, they get to watch whatever show they want. Have you ever thought that? They get, you know, you, you, you women are looking around, what? She can wear whatever she wants. You know, God, I try to put that on, and the conviction just, ooh, just comes on me, right? Men, you're like, man, that guy, he just lets his mouth run every time. Man, I just say, dang it, and you, confess, you, 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 you convict me, Lord. I can't even say like a pseudo curse word. Have you ever had the fire of God on you? And you're like, every situation in my life is fiery. Right? My relationships, it's like fire. And my work situation is like fire. Do you know why? Because it was said of Jesus, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we all love the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, most of us do. Some of you are freaked out. <laughs> 
But the reason is because we know it's the power of God. And we know it's the, that intimacy and that sweetness of his presence. But we're not so keen on the fire. But you know, every new level God talks you to, takes you into, you have to have fresh fire come on your life to purify you, to prepare you for that level. Or else you'd destroy yourself and others. Right? Military personnel, they have to go through an extreme fiery boot camp so that we can trust them when we put a massive piece of artillery in their hands. And God's saying, hey, the only way I'm going to let you carry my fire power is if you've gone through the fire. So you don't destroy everyone with your new level of authority. Are you following me? So you go through the fire every new level God takes you to. And, and, and here's what I found is that we so often, we so often are, are like, oh no, I'm going through fire. And so what are my friends going to think? Like I follow God, but things aren't going well. And what are they going to think? Or if you're a parent, I'm going through fire, but my kids, what are they going to think? And they're going to suffer. And, and I want to say, no, they're not. Actually, as they see you respond to the Lord, that's the greatest gift you can give them in your life. The greatest gift you can give your kids is a legacy of a life lived by faith. And so we, we think, I don't want the fiery circumstances because my poor kids are going to have to suffer. And your kids are seeing you hanging on to Jesus. And they're seeing you say, I'm going to live for Jesus no matter what happens. And so your kids are getting a riches that are worth far more than gold. The fire. And here's the deal. No one trusts a leader who hasn't been through fire. No one trusts a leader who hasn't been through fire. You trust someone who has battle scars. This is what it says. You are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you. If there's one thing I want you to get in your time in this church is that you are precious to God. You are chosen. He loves you. He loves you. And so many of us think, well, he'll love me when I finally get my act together. Or he'll love me when I finally start doing some good stuff for him. Or he'll love me if I would have woken up this morning and spent time with Jesus, but I kept hitting my snooze button. Is there a snooze button anymore? Um, okay. Uh, I had this experience this week. I got to go out and watch my boys play football. And, and they... They did so, so amazing. And you'd think, oh, Robert, I bet that's when you were, you loved them most. Can I tell you, it, it was cool to watch them play football. But my favorite moment of the week is when I took them to Taco Bell. And don't you judge me. We went to Taco Bell, and we're sitting there eating our burritos and our tacos and our taco lechitas and our cheetah la taco and triple, you know, no, I didn't, I, no, we didn't even do that. We just stayed straight burritos and, and we're, we're eating our burritos and my three boys are surrounding me. And, and, um, have you seen those little salsa packets and they have little jokes on them, right? Some of you are like, no, I'd never eat there. Um, they, they, they have these little jokes on them and my boys are showing each other the little jokes on the salsa packets and cracking up. And I don't know, I just had one of those dad moments where my heart gets so overwhelmed with love that I couldn't stand it. And you're just like, I just want to wrap you up. I just want to like eat you up. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. 
and they were just sitting there at Taco Bell. And I couldn't, st- I, mean, I was overwhelmed. Do you know how much more the Father's heart is overwhelmed in love with you? Like, I'm a faulty, sinful man, and I feel like I'm going to explode with love for these three little boys telling Taco Bell jokes. You're sitting there eating your Taco Bell poison, and God's saying, I love you. I can't stand it. You're precious. You're loved in my sight. It says this, I'll give you people in exchange for your life. Nations in exchange for your life. Why don't you all come on up? Um, one last story. I, uh, have you seen all those commercials for Ancestry.com? And, um, in the old days, I thought that was just for like great-grandparents to do, you know? Like now it's cool to know your ancestry. And uh, I, a little confession you know, we all want to feel chosen and important. And so I've had this kind of infatuation in these past couple of years with the Jewish people. And I started wondering, like, maybe I'm a Jew. Maybe I'm like doubly chosen. Like, I know I'm chosen by God, but maybe I'm doubly chosen. And then I talked to my mom and she was like, oh, Robert, I'm pretty sure you're a Jew. Your grandmother was named Maud. And she had dark hair. And so I was like, oh, And so I remember, so Stephanie and I, my wife and I started having this debate, like I'm more Jewish than you. And so, so she gave me for my birthday, ancestry.com, the the little, you know, kit to test. And I was so excited. I'm like, I am going to find out I am such a high percentage Jewish and and it's going to be so, and I'm going to be so much more than Stephanie. And so I remember the day it came in, I was so excited. And so Steph and I gather around, we open the box and we look at the results, and I am the most British man. Like my circle was so tight. You know, all these people are like finding out all these cool countries and and these, you know, millennials are going to Iceland. Like, no, I am just British. Like, I'm just gonna like go back and forth to Britain. But it said, you're 2%. I'm like, 2% what? Iberian Peninsula. Like that's still, that's, that's Portugal. That's Western Europe. Like, and, and so I looked at Steph in, in disappointment. And then I said, Steph, I am the most unlikely man ever to lead a multi-ethnic church. <clears throat> like my family tree is like a straight line. But can I just tell you, it's not because of our qualifications. It's because God says to his covenant people, I will give people in exchange for your life and I will summon nations to you. All over the Bible, it says I will summon nations because of my covenant with you. Can I just tell you, your life, it so matters to God. And it's time to stop looking around and saying, I'm not like this person, I'm not like that person. No, because you are chosen and you are a child of God and you're bought with a price and you're a covenant person and you've been created for a purpose and that is to know God and to make him known and to receive his love and to show his love. And God actually has the greatest purpose 
in eternity in the universe for you. And that is to summon the nations of the world to come and join the feast of the King of Kings. Like you have the greatest calling and that is to summon the nations of the earth. And that's even why God put you in San Diego, this, this city where the nations have come. And you just thought, oh, I'm just trying to make it or I'm just here because of the weather. And God said, ha ha. I might have brought you here for the weather, but I have a great calling for you. And it's to live because that last verse says, created for my glory. You know, you're created for his glory. And when you stop fighting all your weaknesses and start saying, I'm an unlikely person, but I serve a God. I serve a God who chooses the unlikely and transforms them for his glory. It'll change your life.